So as if a loved one and losing someone to murder isn't enough hell for family. I mean, imagine having to spend the rest of your life then making sure the person who caused your greatest pain is kept behind bar. Um, you know, once a verdict and a sentence comes down in this country, it really is only the beginning of yet another agonizing and never-ending chapter. And by now you know that one of this country's most prolific hated killers is up for parole again. And uh, it's only been two years since Paul Bernardo tried to get freedom. And now he's trying to, you know, do it again on June 22nd. And there is a safe assumption that this monster won't get out, but it's never a guarantee. And so the families of those he killed, both the French and Mahaffey family, still have to face this narcissist. And they'll have to plead their case to the parole board on why he shouldn't get out. Not only is this very cruel, it's very painful, and it really is an insult to the women this man tortured and killed, and to all the young women that he raped that be and killed, Christian French, Leslie Mahaffey, and then, of course, Tommy Hamolka, uh, especially since a lot of this is a game to Bernardo, who seems to get off on causing the family's pain. Tim Danson is with Danson Erect. He's a lawyer for both the French and Mahaffey family. Tim, you know, it feels like yesterday that these families went through this, and yet here we are again uh, with the parole board set to hear what Paul Bernardo has to say. And um, it's a bit of a game to him because last time, you know, he'll schedule, he'll reschedule, he'll find a reason to adjourn this thing. But it's a bit of a, I think he gets off on doing this. Oh, I think for Paul Bernardo, this is just uh, entertainment uh, for him, yet uh, and gut-wrenching for my client. Um, as, as Donna French said in her uh, victim impact statement, which she will read uh, at the parole hearing on the 22nd, if it proceeds on the 22nd, as you've just pointed out last mm-hmm. time, uh, Bernardo adjourned it six times. And, and that's, um, you know, horrific for the families because uh, as they get ready to prepare the victim impact statements and then it, and, and getting ready for the hearing and then it gets adjourned and then they get to do it again and again and again, and he shouldn't be allowed to do that. But as Donna French has said in her most recent victim impact statement, which we filed two days ago, she says no sooner has the ink dried on her last victim impact impact statement and when she's called upon to do it again. And it doesn't get easier. And in fact, it gets it gets harder. So it's really unfortunate. I mean, we've called for, for decades, quite frankly, that the legislation should be changed, and at least for people convicted of first-degree murder. So we're, we are fortunately talking about a small percentage of the population uh, and have been uh, sentenced to life imprisonment. Once they get past their initial parole hearing, uh, 25 years uh, uh, post-detention, uh, um, he should um, they, they shouldn't be allowed to have another parole hearing for at least five years. You could have a provision that... Uh, allows them to bring it forward if they if there's some kind of medical breakthrough but uh absent that it's um having it every 2 years is 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 really um unnecessary and unfair to the families especially when he himself has a designation as a dangerous offender so i mean you know even based on that if you're you know convicted of first degree murder and you got the dangerous offender um status you know there should be a provision that you can only apply for paroles so many times well that's right and um uh, unfortunately, uh, that's not the law, um, and it's uh, and it's regrettable. But um, the families do have to contend with that. You know, in the past, when at least the the first parole hearing was done prior to COVID, and so we were there uh, at the institution. Um, Paul Bernardo would be facing uh, the parole board panel, and we would be behind him. So when the so the families never had to look at him. 
and when they read their statements, uh, they don't see him other than the back of his head. Now that we're proceeding by way of Zoom, um, uh, it, it's going to be a little more difficult in one sense for the families because his, he will be on the screen and they will see his face, and that will be uh, particularly difficult for them. Um, but um, they appreciate that they're there to speak to the parole board and to make the case for uh, to the parole board for him not to be released, and hopefully... Um, you know, they'll be able to get through it, but it'll be very difficult to be doing that whilst at the same time actually physically seeing Paul Bernardo's face, which is, as anyone can understand, is crippling for them. Yeah, I mean, hopefully on their computer they can find a way to cover off uh, that, that part of the screen. But nonetheless, I mean, I assume um, that, they, that they will say no again. It took them about half an hour to figure out uh, that he wasn't set for release the last time. But you never know with these parole boards. So, you know, these families get dragged into this pro- process. And it's not just the French and Mahaffey family, but they are one of the higher profile, um, you know, victims of violence in this country. I mean, there are all sorts of families who get stuck in this cycle of trying to keep killers behind jail. Um, but even you as a lawyer for this family, you're not allowed to see the documents that Bernardo would put before the board or the parole board, you know, to argue his case. Why is that? Well, um, uh, it's a good point that you raise. Uh, we have brought um, uh, what's known as an ATIP application, access to information uh, for all of uh, Paul Bernardo's um, uh, institutional files and in particular, uh, the the documentation, the files, the evidence upon which he relies upon uh, for asking the parole board to release him to say that he's been rehabilitated, he has insights, things of that nature. We've done the same thing with um, uh, Craig Monroe and 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 uh, and Clinton Gale, who murdered police officers. So the three were heard in the federal court uh, just last February. We're waiting for a decision. And the answer to your question, uh, um, for all of them, but we'll, we'll, we'll deal with Paul Bernardo, is that we're not entitled, not just the families, but the public is not entitled to uh, this information uh, because of Paul Bernardo's privacy rights. And we take strong objections to that on a number of grounds, the first of which, Paul Bernardo is seeking a public remedy. He's, the parole hearings are public, and he's seeking a public remedy uh, he's asking the parole board to effectively relieve him from the consequences of his life sentence so he can be released from prison and reintegrated back into the community. Everything about that request is public. Uh, it is not um, tenable to us that the entire um, criminal and civil justice system in this country is completely open to the public and transparent, yet when we get to parole hearings, all of a sudden uh, they are not. And um, mm-hmm. and we'll see how the judge rules on that. But it's our view that the public, uh, not just the not just the families, but the public, has a right to know, uh, you know, what is the evidence that he relies upon uh, to be released from prison. And uh, I mean, if this was a civil court or a criminal court, there wouldn't even be uh, an issue uh, with respect to uh, those materials. The only time we get to know what's in that file is when the uh, we're at the parole hearing and the parole board is asking questions uh, of Mr. Bernardo, and then we learn that way or what they put into their decision. Now, last time, and and I do want to give the parole board credit because it was clear that the the two panel members had really done their homework. They had really dug into the file, and and so they they did uh, 
a very good job. But that's not the point. In, in our regular justice system, there's lots of judges who do an outstanding job, too. But nobody would suggest for a moment that we close our courts to the public and, and have in-camera proceedings. Um, to a point that you made a moment ago, if I was on your show as an independent uh, legal um, uh, expert, or whatever word you want to use, uh, I would say that the chances of Paul Bernardo getting parole are somewhere between zero and nil. But when you have the responsibility of making the case for the families, you know, we're not taking anything for granted. Uh, we're not uh, going to be complacent, and we're going to do the best job possible. But um, one of the reasons why I am confident uh, that we should uh, that his parole uh, request will be denied is because last time uh, the parole board found, and this is 26 years after being in prison, that Paul Bernardo um, had no insight into uh, his crimes uh, and what he had done. And it's, it's simply impossible to conclude that if he couldn't come to any kind of insight after 26 years in jail, another two and a half years later, it isn't going to make any difference. And the, and the expert evidence held at that hearing confirmed that um, Paul Bernardo had a deviant sexual interest and he met the diagnostic criteria yeah for sexual sadism, voyeurism, uh, paraphilia, and, and, and otherwise uh, unspecified additional uh, illnesses, and that he met the criteria for narcissistic uh, personality disorder. And, and, of course, they also found that he met all the criteria of psychopathy. And there's no cure for someone who is uh, a sexual sadist and a psychopath. Uh, it doesn't exist, and uh, whether it does at some time in the future is an academic question. So, um, it would be pretty uh, it would be pretty stunning if if um, the pro board reached a different conclusion. And I think people should be reminded, going back to 1995, when one of the most respected, distinguished, experienced trial judges uh, in the country, then mm-hmm. Associate Chief Justice Lesage, who then became our Chief Justice. When he sentenced uh, Bernardo on the dangerous offender application, he said, Mr. Bernardo, you have no right ever to be released. The behavioral restraint that you require is jail. You require it, and in my view, for the rest of your natural life, you are a sexually sadistic psychopath. Those aren't my words. That's the words of the Chief Justice. Yeah. Well, nonetheless, um, you know, we can only hope for peace for these families, and yet we know that here we are talking, and two years from now, we will be talking again about another parole hearing that they will once again have to go to. Nonetheless, we will watch it with close eyes. Tim, I always appreciate your time on this. Thank you. Thank you very much. That is Tim Danson. And assuming that this goes uh, before the parole board, it will be June 22nd.